How are we doing this morning? Good. I'm so excited to be up here this morning. It's always a privilege to preach in the same pulpit that my dad does day in and day out. And um, before we do anything, I feel like we need to pray because um, Pastor Josh answered a question last week that wasn't that easy, and I feel like I have to answer a question. Well, not really me. Um, The Word of God is going to answer a question for us that's um, not necessarily uh, too, too difficult to answer, but at the same time, Um, We really need God to bring some clarity on this. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we just pray that this morning that you would have your way, God. God, that it wouldn't be about me choosing my words correctly or speaking eloquently, but God, that your spirit would lead us and guide us this morning. God, I pray that you would do only what you can do in our hearts. And God, that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question is this. How do I know if I'm really saved? Anybody ever answer, ask that question? How do I know if I'm really saved? Let me give it to you like this. Um, my personal experience with this is um, I've always struggled with assurance, especially in my younger days. Um, any teenagers in here that, you know, you went to every single youth camp ever? Any adults in here you went to every... I. I seriously think I got saved at least five times in one summer camp. It was always, preacher was preaching, they would reveal my sin, it was, God, I invite you, come into my heart, you know, or I remember being a little kid in one instance, and specifically, uh, my dad was away in Haiti, and we were in this, uh, in our house, have a tornado come through in our neighborhood, and we're crammed up into um, a closet, and there's this tornado going, and what do I do? God, just in case I'm not good... (laughs) I'm asking you again, come into my heart. Um, or maybe you, you've heard a preacher stand up there and it's hell, fire, brimstone, and they're preaching and you're scared. And you say, God, just in case, once again, I'm not saved. I just want to let you know we're good, right? Here's what, here's what I want to get at this morning. Your life is never going to take off spiritually unless you are assured that Jesus is committed to you. It's never going to take off. There's certain risk that you'll never take. There's certain things that you'll never do if you are not sure that God is committed to you. I like to put it like this. Um, How many of you guys have ever been rock climbing? Anybody? Um, There's a difference between rock climbing and repelling. They both require a rock, and they both require a rope, right? With repelling, what you're doing is you're strapped in, you have a harness, and you're leaning back, and what you do is you let go, and you fall, in a sense, and you trust that that rope is going to hold you. You're putting your entire weight on this rope. So you lean back, and you look back, and you see this massive gap between you, and yet again, you pray, God, just in case I'm not good, (laughs) I just want to let you know. And rock climbing is you got a rope on, but your strength is in your arms and your legs. You're dependent on you, right? Um, my wife and I, uh, a few right before uh, a few weeks ago, um, we went to the rock house, and <laughs> I've never been so sore in my life because of the fact that every move that you make is dependent on your own strength. And whether you're going to get to that next ridge or that next point is whether your arms or your legs can handle it. And here's the difference between those. When you're repelling, 
there's certain risk that you would never take that you take if you didn't have that rope. And when it's dependent on you and rock climbing and in your own strength, there's just certain things that you won't do because you know that your arm can't handle it. And if you let go, you're falling. There's the same concept. There's a lot of things you will never do with Jesus until you are confident when you lean your weight on him that he will hold you. The reason some of you are so weak in your ability to say no to sin is because you are unconfident of God's presence in your life. So, you don't have to turn there. Real quick, in John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I want to ask you this question. Do you think that Jesus doubts the Father's love for him? Do you think that he sits in heaven and goes, you know what, I really wonder if the Father is committed to me. If he really loves me. But in John 15, 9, it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This verse is saying the same love that the Father extends to me, I give it to you. The same commitment that I have to the Father and to the Son, I give it to you. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you three anchors of assurance. Three anchors of assurance. Number one, believe in the commitment the Father has made. Believe in the commitment that the Father has made. When you believe the gospel, God gives you eternal life. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. It's really hard to imagine that you could be so wicked and that Jesus could be so gracious sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to imagine that. Because I don't know about you, but when I sin and when I mess up and there's times when I fail, it's hard to believe that God's still committed. So number one, believe in the commitment the Father has made. If you have a Bible, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Let's stop there. When Christ brings you from darkness to light, it's not a churchy cliche. When he pulls you out of darkness and he pulls you out of your sin, he gives you a testimony, right? I once was dead, but now I'm not. I once was blind, but now I see. When he saves you, when you truly believe, he gives you a testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and in this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And I want you to pay very close attention to verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, underline this word, know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that once you believe, your eternity is secure. He's not an evil father. 
He's not saying, hey, I'm going to give you a testimony. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to pull you from the clutches of sin. And then in the middle of it, I'm going to leave. He wants you to know that once you believe, your eternity is secure. He is a faithful father. Number two. Your salvation is based on God's sovereign grace and not your good behavior. The greatest assurance you can have is knowing that your salvation is not based on how you feel when you get out of bed in the morning. But knowing God saves you because he's passionate about his name. Turn with me real quick to Ezekiel chapter 36. So number one, believe the commitment that God has made. For some of you, that may sound too simple. I'm going to explain it later on because I know some of us can get the wrong idea. Is it really just that easy? Do I just need to believe and does that mean now that I can live my life however I want? No. I'm going to explain that later on. But I want to show you why God saves people. How many of you ever get caught up in, let's just be honest, how many of you ever get caught up into this kind of motion of things that you think that God saves you because of something good that you did? You think that God is still saving you because of your goodness and because you repent enough and and you read the word enough and, and you do those things. So let's read Ezekiel 36. We're going to pick it up in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 36, and we're going to pick it up in verse 22. We're going to read 10 verses here, so stay with me. If you have a pen, pull it out, because I want you to underline something. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is, for, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Underline that. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I want you to listen to how many times he's going to say, I will. Verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord. When through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Are you seeing the pattern? I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to you, your fathers, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. Underline verse 32. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. 
Verse 22 answers, or I think gives us a clear statement of why God saves people. He saves people for the sake of advancing his name. Not because we're good. If you read all throughout Ezekiel, God is wreaking havoc on all these countries. On all these things. And he says, I'm going to do this because I'm God and I'm concerned about advancing my name. When you truly know God, you understand that God saves you not because you were worthy enough, but because he is working in you. You notice this over and over. I tried to emphasize it. It says, I will vindicate you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove the heart of stone. I will put my spirit within you. I will be your God. I will deliver you. I will act. 13 times in 11 verses, God says, I will do these things. Conversion is clearly grounded on God's grace. Can I say this this morning? We need God. We need God. We can get into this routine that is so exhausting and tiring that we think that God is coming in and doing all that he's doing because we're doing all that we're doing. The hearts of men and women will never be clean unless God acts. Verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known. I was listening to a few different people um, share on this topic this past week. And I heard a guy say, he said, when he's, he, was, he went through Ezekiel and he's reading through some of these things and even as I read through it, you see like, I will vindicate. I will take you from the nations. I will spring, like, that's uncomfortable. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable that God would be concerned about his name, right? Because if we were concerned about advancing our own glory and our own name, that would be a negative characteristic in us. But you must understand that it's more appropriate for God because who else can God center himself around? He is God. There's no one greater than him. There's no one more glorious. So there's no other reason why he shouldn't be God-centered. Who else would you have him exalt? Who else would you have him center himself around? He's concerned about advancing his name. Do, Do you understand that All throughout scripture, and we see it all throughout the pattern of our own lives, that God does the things that he does to advance his name. People were killed all throughout the Bible. Why? Because they were good men and they did good things? No. Because they were advancing God's name. Number three, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Be confident that God is at work and don't trust your emotions. Be confident that God is at work and don't trust your emotions. How many of you tend to trust your emotions quite often? Conversion, salvation is not a ceremony. It's not a prayer that you pray. It's not baptism. It's not speaking in tongues. 
And I think this is what happens. Because we've turned salvation into a ceremony, we judge our assurance on how well that ceremony went. I'll be honest with you. Even in you, when I was coming to that place of battling God, am, am I really saved or you know, did, did I do enough? You ask yourself the question, well, when you came down and you pulled me out of darkness from light, did I cry enough tears? Was I sorry enough? Did I repent enough? God, is there anything that I left out? Do I need to go back and kind of cover that? As if repentance and faith are the Savior. They're not the Savior. Jesus is. Salvation is not a ceremony. It's not an altar call. It's not even a prayer. You can search the scriptures and you're not going to find one single time where Jesus says, ask me into your heart. It's a moment that he plucks you from darkness and brings you to light. When you know how you belong to God, you're not basing your assurance on, happen, uh, on something that happened to you 10 years ago. You're basing your assurance on something that happened 2,000 years ago. So here's the million dollar question. What do you do when your desire to pray, to read the word, to seek God is not that strong, but yet you think you're still saved? What do you do? You love Jesus and, and you try to passionately serve him, but at the same time, you wake up and you say, man, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel it. You start to question that God is at work within you, that God is not at work within you. So what do you do? You rest in Christ. Rest in knowing that your acceptance is not based on how well you do these things, it's based on what he has done. Your assurance is not based on your fruitfulness. It is based on abiding in Christ. So let me give you an example. Sometimes I hear people say this all the time. You know what? I just don't feel saved. You ever say that? Like, I've, let me be honest. My, my, my wife's not here so I can say this. Um, <laughs> you wake up in the morning, let's say moms, and, and kids are just going crazy. Okay? And, and she's got all kinds of things going on, and she's told me multiple times, you know, to uh, come home, I was like, how was your day? She's like, I just don't feel saved today. I threw a bike across the room. <laughs> it, true story. Um, but sometimes I, I get out of bed in the morning, and I say, and this is just honest. We may not say it with our words. I say, God, I don't feel like pursuing you this morning. And maybe that goes on for a day or two or three and then you kind of question, well, mm, am I really saved? Because I'm not really desiring God like I should be. Let me ask you a question. When you say, I just don't feel saved, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I wake up and I get out of bed in the morning and I don't feel married. And then my wife slaps me in the face. I look at the ring on my finger, realize the commitment that I made five years ago. I'm still married. Right? So you have to understand that when Jesus plucks you from darkness and brings you to light, it's a commitment that he's made, that you've made. 
Just because you fall and just because maybe you get emotional and you don't understand what's going on, it does not negate the fact that he's done something in your life. My feelings, my emotions are not the final say on assurance. So, here's what I want to do. I want to go through two things that I believe maybe after everything that I've said and what you've heard, I think that you could take this two different ways. Because my first point was believe, right? Is it really that simple? Yes. But at the same time, there's something that happens behind belief. Because some people get the wrong idea. Maybe, you, how many grown up in church and you heard the statement, once saved, always saved? Anybody heard that? Yeah. That's wrong and that's right. It's wrong and it's right. And, and the reason it's wrong because you can't just say, well, I prayed the prayer, man, I'm good, Right? I don't see anywhere in scripture where the, the disciples or anybody that acted said, well, you know what, I just believe. Oh, by the way, I'm just going to go live my life the way that I want. You see that there is this growing passion and this, this, this desire to belong to Jesus and to do what Jesus wants. So I want to break it down. If you, claim, if you only claim to believe, but there is no life transformation, it's not true conversion. If you say, I believe, but your life does not look anything like Jesus, you're not a Christian. Here's some research for you. Four out of five Americans identify themselves as Christians. That's 80% of America. I wonder how much of that is genuine. This group of self-proclaimed Christians, less than half are involved in a local church. Less than half believe the Bible to be accurate, and the overwhelming majority don't have a biblical view on the world around them. Here's another category. Most self-proclaimed born-again Christians, as if there's any difference, (laughs) research shows that they are virtually do not live a different lifestyle than the world around them. They believe just because they pray to prayer, they are sealed, and they're on their way to heaven. Many believe their works can earn them a spot in heaven. Many believe that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. There's one thing that is extremely clear from this research. There are many people who think they are Christians, and they got it wrong. Salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is not a ceremony. Because I've seen some tongue-talking old women that are the meanest people you've ever seen on the face of the earth. So let me give you an example real quick. This is not my own example, but I think that it illustrates the point very well. Let's say... I'm supposed to preach this morning, and I show up late, okay? So my dad comes on the stage, and he says, hey, listen, um, you know, Pastor Zach is going to be preaching, and won't y'all welcome him this morning? Y'all put your hands together, you clap. Awkward silence, I'm nowhere to be found. Five minutes go by. I know that probably wouldn't happen. My dad probably would jump up here and preach, but just imagine it for a moment. 
Um, five minutes, you're waiting, you're sitting back. Okay, what's going on? It's kind of awkward. People are starting to talk. You're looking on your phones. And I bust through these doors. I'm sweating. And I said, all right, guys, listen, I'm sorry. I'm late. I had some uh, car trouble. Forgive me. Um, I was on my way here. I got a flat tire. So I step out. I go to change a flat tire. And as I'm going to change it, I step out into the road, and this 18-wheeler runs me over. After it runs me over, I get back up. (laughs) I put my tire on, and I'm here. I'm ready to preach. (laughs) If I were to share this story with you, you would know that I'm lying or I'm completely deceived. Right? Why? Because if a person was hit by an 18-wheeler truck, they would look a whole lot different than they do right now. So I feel that I'm on pretty safe ground, assuming that once a person comes face-to-face with God, that person is going to look a whole lot different than they did before. So if you claim to believe, but there's no life transformation, you're not a Christian. You know, a it, it pet peeve of mine is I see so many people that claim to believe, but yet they don't have a care in the world for the people around them. So many people that claim to believe, and they're so much quicker to run to Barnes & Noble to get the next Christian book than they are to go across the street. They want information, they want knowledge, they want to sit down and they want to have conversations about Jesus, but they don't want to do anything. Once you believe, it's not just a conversation, it's not a coffee and a good book. It's life transformation. You understand that, man, the God of the universe plucked me from my darkness and brought me to light. That he's saving you because you have an opportunity to advance his name. That he's saving you for the sake of his name. Number two, people who claim to be Christians when their lives look no different than the rest of the world are not Christians. Now I'm not saying that everyone has to be perfect. Or that everyone's conversion story is dramatic. We were having this, I think Pastor Josh and I were having this conversation the other day. I mean, for many years, um, my dad's story of salvation was kind of discouraging to me. And that's not a knock on him, but I did not have this like, you know, I was involved in sex, drugs, rock and roll, started drinking when I was eight, partying with my friends, and then right before I was about to jump off a cliff, the angel of God just came down and, you know, plucked me. I didn't have this dramatic conversion. I didn't have this story where I could go back and, you know, go to my high school, tell all my friends this radical thing that Jesus had done in my life. To be quite honest with you, I don't even know when I got saved. 
I do know when Jesus began to change my will and my wants and I started to see things differently, but I can't remember a moment in time where I can say, you know, on May 16th of 2001, God came down. Like, I don't know. But I do know that there was a moment when God in his mercy and his grace and he came down and he began to change my will and my wants. I think that you have to understand this. The fruit of being forgiven of sin is the desire to flee sin. The fruit of being forgiven of sin is the desire to run away from it. So, let me, let me just be really clear with you. Because some of you right now, the reason that you're not experiencing the joy and the peace of God is because you're not assured. And there's others of you that are on the complete other line. Like Pastor Josh said this morning, there's just a pride. You think you know it all. You think you're good. You prayed the prayer and you lived the life and you read the books. But your heart is dead to the things that are going on around you. You have no care in the world to bring God's name fame. So when you ask yourself that question, God, I'm struggling I'm going through something and I'm questioning my salvation. I think the very fact that you ask that question shows that your heart is not as dark as you think it is and that God really is at work. Because people that are far away from God, they don't ask that question. Right? Conversion is not a prayer, it's not good deeds. It's not a regular church goer. It doesn't matter how much you get involved here at OSC and you serve on the usher team or you serve in the worship team or in the media team or you serve in OSC kids. Conversion is God intervening in your rebellion and setting your affections on him. We can have assurance that we are his when we know that our will and our want is different. When sin breaks our heart, when we say, God, I'm sorry that I did that, when there's a genuine forgiveness, I think point three, going back, is so important for so many of you guys to be confident that God is at work and don't trust your emotions It's so much easier to trust what's going on around you and to trust that emotional instinct in that time. But be confident that God's at work. As I said in the beginning, believe the commitment the Father has made. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus does not doubt the commitment the Father has made. I'm going to end with two statements. It's not a sentence. It may sound like it. And I know it's not a proper sentence, so I want to clarify it. It's two statements. The first one is to fight, and the second one is to know. If you want to know Jesus, it's a fight every single day. You have to fight. It's a war, it's a battle. 
It's ugly, it's bloody. But if we want to know Jesus, we're going to fight and we're going to do whatever we have to. My prayer for myself and my prayer for you guys is that we would love Jesus more than sleep. That we would love Jesus more than our titles. That we would love Jesus more than anything that God has given us. And I want you to walk away from this this morning knowing that when God intervenes, that when God comes in and he gives you a testimony, that it's for sure. I just, I can't imagine God sitting up and saying, I'm going to do the most glorious thing on the face of the earth, and then I'm going to take it away from you. God's faithful. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you that we can be sure. God, we thank you that you are with us to the very end. God, regardless of emotions, regardless of what is going on around us, God, we pray that we would trust in your word. God, that we would trust in your son. We would trust in what you have done. Father, I pray for those that are dealing with doubt now. Father, those that are maybe doubting your commitment or doubting who you said you were and are. God, I pray that you would bring them peace. God, I pray that you would bring them assurance. God, I pray that this morning that we would know God, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. In your name, amen. One thing, and I'm gonna let you guys go. I want you guys to know this. Don't take lightly what God has done in your life. Don't take lightly what God has done in your life. Just because your story isn't like some other person that had this dramatic conversion, it doesn't mean that God isn't at work in you. It doesn't mean that. He knows what you need right now, and he knew what that person needed then. Be sure of God's commitment.